You have one of those, um, one of those weird realizations yesterday <clears throat> that, um, you know, kind of embarrassing, really. Uh, embarrassing to myself, anyway. Um, and um, quite happy to admit on um, on this situation. I'd not really thought that, you know, five over four... Or four against five or whatever. You know, eight, eight over five is the same, isn't it? Because it's just double the four, you know. And, um... I was, I was listening to Brad Meldo, you know, um, um, you didn't know, was it, you didn't know what, it, what time it is. Um, I think that's what it's called. Uh, is that, that's standard, isn't it? Let me look. I was listening to it yesterday. I didn't know what time it is. I didn't know what time it was. There you go. So useless to remember. But he's got his little vibe here where they do this little cheeky little bit. Like it's eight over five because it's like the two bars of four over the top of the one bar of five. You know, it's a beautiful little moment. I never really listened to it properly before. It was like a, it was like a sudden realization that I thought maybe I've never really listened to anything properly. You know, maybe I'm just flailing around in the dark. It's all been a big flail. Forty years of flailing. Is that a good name for an album? Probably not. It's not going to sell well, is it? You're not selling it. Not really selling it to anybody, are you? This is my lifetime's achievement. Forty years of um, forty years of flail. Anyway, sorry, I was a bit of a weird introduction, but um, yeah, welcome back. I don't know why I'm saying welcome back. Well, it feels like I'm welcoming myself back. That's this is what this is about. It's nothing to do with anybody that's been. Um, Listening to the last couple of months of podcasts has has obviously been hearing me talking to the um, fantastic human being, Mr. Graham Massey, who's a long-time friend of mine, but a phenomenal um, musician and a very important person within the Manchester music, Manchester's musical contribution to the world. If you haven't listened to those interviews, I suggest you do, and... Um, and yeah, when you do, you will realise what I've just said is not an exaggeration. Uh, it's very easy to be, you know, we're, we're living in a world full of superlatives these days, aren't we? You know, I've, I've already talked about my my feelings of younger people who describe each other as incredible and all that, which is mega and super positive. But in the reality of it, as musicians, is there's very few people I would say are incredible in music, you know, um, and and there's different levels to that as well. There's not just the playing ability thing, but there's also contribution and there's lots of different facets to that. Uh, you know, you, you can you can give an incredible contribution to music. You can be you can be a pivotal kind of cog within a complex machine of. Uh, of a scene or something like, like one of these kind of galvanizing people, which, you know, which for me, Graham is, has always been one of those people um, through some 
inherent love of music and and, and a kind of a understanding of um, the sort of social aspects of music. You know, music's a social thing. You know, and um, we must not forget that in this weird the weird times we're living at the moment. Um, I saw a video yesterday. I was listening to this. Uh, it was um, it was a discussion between two people, and uh, one of them was saying that the social media is 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 coming to an end. It's it's in its demise and. I was like, in a lot of respects, I'm really happy about that, you know, because I think that it's, um, we don't really know how to deal with it as human beings, I don't think, still. I think we find it very, very challenging. I mean, it's obviously changed everything. I mean, I you know, I feel very lucky to have lived in a world for a substantial amount of time uh, before it, and so to have seen the world for, you know, all my formative years and then suddenly be thrown into this brave new world. Whereas when, you you know, if you're younger, that's all it is. And, and I think that's why that, you know, people describe things differently these days because of the language and the kind of, um, and the, the kind of feel-good fake factor that's sold to you through um, social media. You know, not all of it, but just, you know, everything's superlatives, you know. So... Uh, superlative city, superlative vibe. Anyway, yeah, that, yeah, I've long talked about that as a thing of, of exaggeration and all that kind of stuff. But if you listen to those interviews, those two interviews, I, um, you will understand why I made the statement that I did because um, because of the contribution. If for just that, there's much more to it, but just that, you know, just the, the contribution and, and the the uh, the involvement and the, the galvanizing force of of um, people that he's worked with and brought together and uh, what he's contributed to the situations that he's been in um, and that's on lots of different levels not just musical social as well and, and uh, you know as a human being you know it's a valuable thing to to think about and um, we should value that more than ever at the moment with the the advent of weird AI stuff and how in the next two years, especially in the next year, I think in, in especially in North America and the UK, we're going to see some very weird stuff going on in these general elections we've got coming up both both sides of the pond. You know, we've got these uh, potential changes of uh, of government politically. You know, um, and there's there's manipulations going on in the world at the moment. Everyone knows about it, and. Uh, Sorry, just drinking my coffee. Anyway, that was a very weird, another weird tangent. But yeah, well, it's welcome back for me because I haven't done one of these for a while. You know, it's felt like a long time. And uh, I had this funny thing today. I was thinking about what I was going to talk about and so much has been going on, but I felt like I had nothing to say, you know. And then I was thinking, oh, you know, is this... As it as it run its course, you know, I'm at the end of. Is there nothing left to say? You know, is there, is it just a thing? And then I kind of realised that you know, there's always things to to talk about and share. You know, perspectives. You know, it's how much you're prepared to share and how personal you're prepared to, how deep you're prepared to go. And I thought today I would talk about some some stuff um, because I've, people have talked to me in the past about episodes I've done and have talked a little bit more about more personal things, uh, not necessarily psychology, but just being a bit more, you know, a bit less about sort of the nuts and bolts of drums and a bit more about the person behind the drums. And they've, they've said they've enjoyed those 
those uh, insights and those kind of sharing those things. And I think I think that's the sort of I think sometimes it's just nice when you you're able to share experiences in your head and perceptions of things that are going on, you know, and how you feel about certain things and and also share things about, you know, whether you're on a journey of self-improvement, which is kind of what I was going to talk a bit about today, a little bit about today. And um, and then I had this moment when I came up here. Well, I had, I had, I had a funny moment that's connected to this practice pad uh, a couple of weeks ago. My, my good friend, Elliot Henshaw, who... I've interviewed on this great episode. Go and check that out. Um, fantastic drummer and an old friend of mine. Jolly decent human being. Um, a very funny human being. Amusing. Um, we got together here. He came to my house. Um, it was lovely. So a nice night, nice chat, and talked about drums a bit, a bit of playing and stuff, and went out for some food and all the usual malarkey. Drum get together. But he came up here to the, to the shed and had the shed. I don't know if you've, I don't know if I've mentioned about the shed. The shed's a bit ruined. There's a bit of a problem with the shed, and I've not really been in here much. It's been a bit sad. Uh, but it's also we're in February now. It's the um, what's the date today? Fourth of February. So this is the first uh, Sunday of the month. This is when I always record these, and it will go out tonight if I um, if I make sure I get my stuff together as they say but anyway um obviously it's winter and uh the sheds had some problems i'll go into that in a minute i'll finish the other story and not do the usual nonsense tangent thing um with elliot so elliot came up here and i said i've not really been up here very much and i didn't have any drums up here or anything because they've been in the house because you know as i think you've known from the other episodes um my partner's living abroad at the moment so i i'm sort of when i'm coming home from gigs i'm just bringing the drums into the house because one of the reasons why i have this is so that we don't have drums in the house because it's you know drums are just in the way of domestic bliss as they say um so I've been um, having the drums in the house. I've got the other drum kit set up in the living room again at the moment, which is great. I was playing yesterday. But up here, I've got my little kit set back up again and got the mics up, and I've been doing a bit of work today, last weekend, recording a bit, which has been great. So I've, been, I've kind of come back into the drum shed. And uh, I was saying to him, I've not been up here because I've got this problem with the roof, a bit of a leak and everything. And um, anyway, we were in here, and I was showing him around, and he tapped this. And he said, that's that sound. He said, that's the one, that's it. And I said, it's the pad. Yeah, yeah. And this pad has been up here for for months, so I haven't played it. Um, I've taken my, my first practice pad. If you want to go back and listen to one of my early episodes called The Pad. Yeah, I talk in great length about my practice pads. I mean, it's, I can't believe I'm saying that sentence and the tragedy of how sad that is. Um, but, you know, it's one of those things, isn't it? If we're going to share... If we're going to share things, we're sharing we're sharing stuff on that level because uh, we're all there. We're all as sad as each other in that respect. And I've got several practice pads, and I did a, I did a whole thing about my practice pads. And this practice pad I haven't played for for month, literally for months, because it's just been up here. Uh, and I took my my, my my original first practice pad that I got when I was twelve. It's down there. It sits on the snare drum. It's a rubber pad. And some and it's and a lot of time it sits on this pad because this is a snare size pad. It's this uh, quiet tone, this Sabian quiet tone pad, which I bought many years ago. Which 
I have talked about. Um, but Elliot, as soon as he hit it, he recognised the sound of it, you know, um, which I thought was quite amusing. It's obviously got a bit of a personality. And then when it came up today, I came to set it up to play as I'm hitting it now, and I started playing it, and I really didn't like it at all. And it's taken me just just tuned into it i've not been playing it for ages and and it's really weird very bouncy um yeah it's got a lot of it's got a lot of life in it Just about finding, I'm sort of finding my vibe with it again. Yeah. Anyway, I had a weird, just weird moment where we hadn't connected for a while. But on many levels, it has a personality. You know, it has a recognisable sound over the podcast airways, and it. Um, and it feels like it wants to kick you in the face when you play it. It's like, get off. Fucking get out of the way. Yeah, fucking whatever. You're like having to like, okay, there's all that rebound going on. I really have to have a different vibe when I'm, when I'm laying into it. But anyway, mm. I've spent, I've been spending a lot of time on the pad downstairs and I've been spending quite a lot of time trying to get my right hand back into some kind of form. Because it's not felt, it's not felt right for a while. And um, the main thing is, it's indecision. And I don't know whether I don't know whether I don't know. If I go through periods in life where because of because of the sort of openness to experimentation, one says, "Oh, I'm I'm prepared to experiment. I'm I'm open to the idea of that." It then creates this sort of um, slightly slight neurosis of of indecision of like well come on come on dave how are you going to hold the stick then are you going to do this with the stick or are you going to do that and i've and because i've not been playing with um not been gigging as much as um as i would have liked from like early september through to when i did trio gigs in november um i kind of felt like by the end of the trio gigs i felt like i was kind of a bit out of shape in a way i don't know it was a bit weird i I felt in quite a weird frame of mind and then i went away for christmas um, and i felt like i was away for a long time and i had a real break but it was quite uh, it was quite full on and then i got home and i was ill and all that stuff um which i think was i think i mentioned that in the because because i recorded the interview with graham in december you see so the the december episode was graham and the january episode was graham and now we're in the february episode which is me and i'm back to full health again and all that stuff but i just like i felt like i've had a strange quite a strange time and it's been quite quiet with gigs i had two really nice gigs right at the beginning of january uh, two zeffirelli's with trio gigs really nice and um the first one I hadn't played for, hadn't played since the middle of December, and it, it was literally, again, I had the same thing today as when I came to this pad. Out. I started playing the drums on the gig, and 
had this weird, just everything was weird, you know. The, the snare drum was weird. I felt I, did, I felt really disconnected. I felt like, um, again, like the right hand, something was not right in the right hand. Um, and it's funny because I recorded that gig, I videoed it, and I listened back to it um, a couple of days later and, and just did a few little edits of the video. And it sounded miles better than it felt in the moment. In the moment, it, it was genuinely, I was just like this is no way you know what the hell's going on and then when i listen back to it a couple of days later i mean yeah, people talk about that thing as being common but i'm i feel like a lot of the time i'm a little bit more in touch with what's going on than that i felt really it was really quite strange but anyway you know well, i take it as a positive thing because it obviously wasn't terrible if it can reconfirmed my terribleness that i perceived at the time then um, that'd have been worse, of course, but it wasn't worse. So, uh, sorry, just finishing the coffee off before it goes cold. Um, but yeah, but I felt like I haven't really been playing the drums a lot since, and so I've spent. Um, it's not a new year thing. It's just um, it's just kind of decision thing that I've been waiting for a while to um, start this thing called CBT, Cognitive Behavioural Therapy, which some of you may know, but some of you may not know. Um, I don't know anything about it, and I decided because of my sleep, basically my sleep is a pretty bad, you know, and, um, and bad sleep, I think most people have consequences of bad sleep. Lots of people have lots of different consequences. The main problem I have is... I just get more anxious in you know in situations where um there's a possibility of stress so it it means that I've got less kind of resilience uh and so and everything's fine I can, can I can cope and do whatever I need to do and blah 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 and that's all fine but it's about you know the enjoyment of it because you, you can get through situations but if it's not that joyful then you know, it's not really, it's just not enjoyable, is it? So you don't look forward to doing it, you know, and that kind of stuff. And so one of the reasons why I was, <clears throat> I'd asked about signing up to this thing. I mean, it's a long while, it's August was when I went into the process um, of, of sort of having a conversation with the GP, you know, and um desperately you know trying to avoid any kind of medication for sleep or anything. definitely don't want to go down that road because that's just doesn't you know that's not that's not an answer to anything um and so yeah so that's kind of i've that started um i've been waiting ages for it and it started in january and um i don't really know what to make of it at the moment it's not what i thought it was so um yeah i haven't really got anything to say at the moment apart from the fact that i'm not 100% sure what what it is because I've only, I've only just started and uh, I feel like it's establishing itself whatever that means um, but it's not like I mean I've done talking therapies before and other sorts of therapies and they you know they have a definite thing you know you you, you feel like you're entering into the thing that you imagine it is immediately this has not felt like that it's felt um, a slow burn I think is the um, the expression you know, so, um, yeah, but I'm, you know, I've an open mind 
and I'll definitely, you know, going to give it a chance. So, uh, so that's kind of started, and then it's just led to, you know, a couple of other, a couple of other things that are, are kind of just sort of trying to have self improvement or dealing with, you know, any other kind of issues or things that feel like have been lurking around, you know. So that's kind of been the January, the feeling of January, and it's not a New Year thing, it's just literally because that thing started. Um, so, and, the, and it's been connected to the drums and the, and the right hand, um, the right hand thing, the, 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 the fact that there's, it feels to me like there's so many options technically, you know. Um so I'll talk about that in a minute because that's kind of what this is about, really. But the, the thing I want to mention about the drum shed, which is obviously, you know, the the this podcast is called uh, Drums in the Shed. You know, that's its whole the whole thing is about sitting in here and being mental. Um, so the roof was leaking. Well, basically, last summer we had a crap summer, um, and we've got. I mean, I'm going back actually to May. The last dry, really, the last good dry spell we had here in the UK was May, June. I think it was May, June. It was definitely not July, because it was awful. Um, and anyway, I didn't, I didn't have enough time in May. I'm very busy at work in May, June, but we had a dry bit. And so what I did was I, I came and did an inspection of the roof, because basically I paint the roof of this every... Uh, try and do it every two years, and I've done a pretty good job the last few years. I've, I've managed to get a coat of paint on it because it gets absolutely battered by the weather. Um, it's because you know, I'm a little bit high. we're quite high up here anyway where we live, and then it, this is elevated behind the house on the top of a kind of old quarry. So the wind and the rain, and then there's a well, we get to the main reason why there's a problem. So anyway, I was up on the roof in the summer just to inspect it, and, and I was going to do. A, Sweep. I normally sweep it, and then I try and get rid of any moss. And it, and it actually been. It was quite clear actually because I'd painted it two years ago and done a pretty good job of clearing it off. And it really, it, the roof was just in need of. Uh, it just needed stuff sweeping off. But when I came to stand on the other, the far side, which is the new side, I put my foot sort of onto the roof, and it didn't feel right because you can basically walk on this roof. It's you know. And uh, yeah, I'd have gone through. If I'd have put my body weight on it, it'd have gone. It'd have collapsed, you know. So that was weird. So then I've been in this long kind of thing with the guy that built it. And it took absolutely ages because he's so busy. But basically, eventually he came round, and I think we're talking about I don't know November. Yeah, I recorded the last podcast in here in November. And I might have even mentioned... I can't even remember what the last podcast was about. I sat here before going, I can't even remember what I was even talking about. I made some... I looking at my notes. I was like, was it about that? Was it about that? What the hell was that? Am I just going to be repeating? Is this like literally going to be a mirror podcast of the last podcast? Because I can't remember what I was doing three months ago, you know. Um, but anyway, they came around and the diagnosis was the roof is knackered and they didn't want to repair it because it wasn't financially worth repairing. They just felt like if we started, if we started delving into it, they were going to be 
digging a bigger hole, taking the thing off and then getting into a thing of needing to take all of it off and then replace all this and it was just going to be a nightmare, it was going to cost a fortune and it was better to just knock the whole thing down and start again and all that. And, and then there was a conversation about putting a piece of rubber on the top of it, over the top and taking the whatever off and then nailing all that down so it was waterproof but it would look horrific and, and it would be like flapping in the wind and stuff and I was like, that's a fucking horror show, that's not going to happen. Anyway, I made the decision... Uh, last week to repair it myself, I just thought, hold on, what am I messing around with? Like, I, I'm reasonably good at basic DIY and stuff, um, and so I'm just waiting for I'm waiting for dry weather. I mean, that's basically the bottom. The bottom line is, as soon as it's dry, I'm going to repair that side. Um, I'm probably opening a horrific can of worms. I mean, this what's going to happen is it's going to I'm going to be sat here, you know in a few months of time doing welcome to the podcast i'm sat in a field now because there's no roof on here and uh, everything's ruined um but no the nightmare was if i was going to repair the whole roof he said i had to take everything out of here now you know none of you uh, elliot's been here and i don't know there's a couple of people that have lessons that sometimes listen to this but why that's not it's really not an option if i had to empty this thing it would be a disaster you know um so i'm desperately trying to avoid that so that's why i'm trying to repair it i'm going to repair it myself i'm going to take all the rotten wood off the top i'm going to repair the leak find the leak on this on the um it's basically you know waterproof layer underneath repair that and then uh, and then put some new uh thing on and then and then i'm going to repaint it all and then fingers crossed this is uh, maybe slightly deluded, but we'll see. It um, we might be all right for another, you know, another four or five years. But the, the master plan up here is, um, I want. There's a tree that's behind us here, which is a, a sycamore. It's not a native. It's a, it's the thing. This the tree and the tree and our, my neighbour's tree just hangs over the shed. This is why the this is why the shed's knackered because basically the sap has destroyed the cedar slates. Um, cedar's really hardy wood and normally never have a problem with it. And he said he's never seen it before, but the, the, the sap from the tree is, you know... And this is even painting it. It's got through... Um, I mean, you can't buy what we'd call proper paint anymore anyway because it's all outlawed now. So the stuff that you buy to do these roofs and stuff, you know, is all water-based... And it's just shit, you know. It just, once you get a bit of weather, it starts to come off. And then in a year, it's all gone. It's just literally, you can just see back to the wood again. Whereas in the olden days, you know, back in there, you'd put something on there that will poison you to death and kill all of your children and all your pets. But it'd be fine because the roof would still be there. Everyone would be dead, but, you know. Um, but now we live in the you know, health and safety world. Um Apparently, some rubber, some rubber sort of stuff you can buy. It's very expensive. I might look at that as well. Um, but there's some stuff I've got for my normal shed down at the bottom, which I painted, which is three summers ago, and I desperately needs a coat of paint. And again, they couldn't do it last year because because of the weather. But uh, the advantage with the shed down there is it's elevated off the ground, so it's got it's got breeze blocks and air underneath it. And the roof is this rubber, 35-year guarantee rubber, and it's just a sloping roof. So um, it's 
it's all right, you know, it can get away with. But it, it, it very rarely gets dried out down there, which is the other problem because it's so shaded, whereas up here this gets baking hot in the summer. So I'm really hoping if we can get a nice couple of three or four days in May, April or May, um, I'm going to tackle it. And, uh, yeah, and I've got this paint down there, which I use on the other shed, which is this sort of, it feels a bit rubbery, but that, even that comes off in the rain. You know, you can see it. It doesn't, just water-based paints, you see. It's just, you know, water and water-based paints. It's not rocket science, is it? Well, it's just paint. But, um, so anyway, so that's that's all that news. It's rambling news. It's very boring. Nobody wants to, nobody wants to listen to this. Um, so, yeah, so it's been sort of a funny time. Um, and um, yeah, it's been a funny time. It's been a funny time at work. It's been a funny time. Full stop. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, trying to get this, trying to get the left left hand and the right hand to and they speak to each other again. And it's funny how you know, being right-handed, I've never felt um, like so um, far from being right-handed as a drummer i'm not saying i'm playing left-handed but as a kind of thing of if i was to say which hand feels the most stable at the moment which is the one where i feel like oh yeah you know the the hand that's got it's all about confidence isn't it which hand has the confidence the left hand really has a lot more confidence than the right hand now some of it's to do with the cold and uh i've mentioned this before in fact another another um very nice chap who i interviewed on here called richard cass we, uh, we he he mentioned to me because he's a proper di i class richards as a as a proper um diy person he's a he's a person that builds he builds shit you know what i mean proper stuff he, he seems you know proper woodworking carpenter and all kinds of other stuff. Likes his tool, power tools and stuff. You know, he's not afraid to get an angle grind out. Blah, 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 blah. And he's a man after my own heart. Absolutely. But he mentioned a similar thing to what I've been feeling the last couple, two or three years with the cold, you know. Um, because in the last few years, I've got more into doing DIY things and stuff. And... Um, but I do feel like it's affected my hands a bit in relation to them getting very dry in the winter. And I've I've, I've talked about this thing before, like like here in the drum shed, I've got a little there it is, oh, a little tube of sort of moisturizer uh, because it was it was actually Luke Flowers a few years ago who said to me, he said, you know, you know, yeah, you know, I, I carry a thing around me just to get just to make sure I can get things going, you know, because if your hands are dry. And you're playing, it's like really hard. And and the thing that always works, but it's a bit grim, is you spit on your hands, don't you? Because the spit is very, very sticky, greasy, and that works. But it's obviously grim, and it only works for a very short amount of time. Whereas, a, like a moisturizer, you put it on. I've just put some on now on my hands because my hands are a bit dry again today because it's cold today. I've been out shooting this morning, and uh, it was quite warm. But as soon as you're out with the gun and you're out on the range and then you sort of pull in the you know you're there for an hour you realize how how cold your hands are because it's cold because it's still you know we're still in winter um but yeah the old moisturizer thing does help but um 
Rich said the same thing. He'd, he'd noticed the same thing. He really struggled in the winter to get sort of to get the hands, to get the hands to a kind of um, you know to a state where they're tacky. You just need that tackiness. And I always feel in the right hand because I predominantly play traditional grip. Okay, so you know traditional grip is an unmatched grip that's got two very different ways of holding the stick and uh and that sort of gap between my my left thumb and the inside of my left forefinger is the only that's the only real contact point for um for sort of gripping fulcrum on the in the left hand and then you know i've got the thumb and i've got pretty good grip and then there's a bit of a bit of forefinger that that helps to just round things off, you know. Um, if I'm doing the, like these four-stroke roughs now, you know that one's it's like a dropped double, so it's two double strokes displaced, and I'm rounding, I'm rounding that that the end of it off with my left forefinger, and now, um, now these I'm rounding this off. It's exactly the same stick, and it's two doubles. But I'm rounding this off with my left thumb. And if I want to drop it in and try and catch the rim, it's easier. I find it easier to drop it in, drop it in with the with the thumb rounding it off than the forefinger. But I kind of I can find it either way, really. But, but I really like that thing of alternating doubles between the forefinger and the thumb. One two, one two, one two, one two, one two, one two. So those those left doubles there, two 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 of the doubles are with the forefinger and then two with the thumb. Whereas the right hand is just doing the same thing all the time, you know. And then there's a sort of now I've been going through this long procrastinated um, thing for years, really, about right hand fulcrum, you know. Is it the second joint or the one you know nearest the end of the forefinger? Some people call it the first joint. I call it the second joint. I think I do. Sometimes maybe I don't. I don't know. And then you know, thumb playing sort of thumbs up and having the, the having the stick sit in that in that second joint towards the end of the forefinger, the second joint of the forefinger, not the first one from the hand. Or is it this where it where I'm more more German technique and, and it sits in that first joint I just go through so many different I mean I think there must be many episodes where I've talked about this before you know and uh, when I was doing this single handed stuff like I'm doing now this push pull thing you know it's for my hand it's absolutely Anything that's multi-bounce and requires me to be um, going in with a with a drop from the wrist and a collection stroke with the finger like that. It absolutely feels better in that first joint, the one that's nearest the hand. The second joint 
hand is a slightly different angle than it needs to be. The especially on this pad. I mean, it's not very pleasant on this pad. Anyway, the kickback. The kickback is. Um, He's unpredictable. It's going to send you in a slightly weird direction, you know. And so, so part of me has been like, why am I not just playing all the time in that joint? I can play everything in that joint. It's fine. And then I hit the ride cymbal, and I go, I don't really like that sound. And I put it, I go to the, the second joint, hit the ride cymbal, and go, there's my sound, you know. So it's this kind of compromise between technical stability and sound, you know. And um, I go, be I go between, you know, go between saying that the priority is sound, and then the priority is technical control. You know, because um, you just think about who cares about what do external people. Um, care about more, you know. I mean, they probably don't care at all. But um, if I'm playing in a situation, there's a question to you now. Think about this. Do you think they care more about the fact that you have technical stability in order to execute the thing that is expected of you in the music that you're playing? Or do you think they care more about your sound and... They'll forgive uh, a technical fragility, I would say, because that's what that's that's how I feel it is. If if it's, I feel the choice of playing from this position in my right hand, from that position, this position, to that position. Even you can hear even hear the difference probably on the pad, the sound difference. That's my right hand playing, da da da. Two semiquavers in the quaver, um, one in the second joint, then one in the first joint, and they do sound different. They've got different tone, they've got different bottom end, especially if you're hitting a cymbal and a particular cymbal with a specific thickness that's got bottom end in the bottom end in the overtone. A thicker cymbal with less bottom end in the overtone, it just doesn't matter because you're not got that sound anyway. It doesn't exist in the cymbal, you know. But if you want to, if you if you're making a decision about whether you want more more bottom end in the sound of the symbol or not, then you've got to, from in my opinion, I think you've got to think about how you're hitting the symbol and which fulcrum and what pinch and all those different things. And I think does anybody care about that stuff? Does anybody really care? You know, or are they just going, why does Dave sound like he's flailing around a bit? You know. Why does it not sound like it's fluid or smooth, you know? So that's the that's the kind of that's the place. That's that's what's going on in the brain at the moment. And um I've been thinking a lot about um drummers and playing heel up and about this kind of that vertical sound and playing certain sorts of gigs and needing that sound, you know. And then thinking, yeah, does anybody really care about your sound? You know, the, 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 the first and foremost, 
do they really people you know, people that you're working for they care more about these other things because they're maybe more important you know i mean if you said just to flip it on its head you know if you were a drummer that had a, a beautiful sound that couldn't play in time no one you're not gonna have a gig are you I mean, you probably you could be an artist. Yeah, I'm an artist. I've got no time, but I'll make a beautiful sound. and pff, That's great. Good luck with that. You know, you might get a following and that's all great and become an artist. Amazing. But um, that's great. If that happens for you, good for you. Uh, the majority of us in the real world who are trying to play the instrument well... Um, that's useful for the people in different situations want to basically be able to play in time and have a groove, have a feel, you know. Um, if, you know, if, if the thing that, the thing that seems to come across to most people when I play, wherever I play and whatever music I play, people tend to say you have a great feel, which is, I, I mean, I'm very, very, you know, I feel um, it means a lot to me that I'm communicating that to, to to strangers around the world in different situations that have never that don't know anything about me or or each other. It means that there's something universally true about that, which is that I am communicating how I feel about the music. You know, and the fact that people say oh, you've got a great feel um, means that I must make something feel good to them. And which is, you know, I must be doing something right for that, and that, and that's really valuable to me. Um, and maybe you know, maybe it's a thing you take for granted, or maybe it's you know something that I kind of feel, no pun intended, that uh, I. Um, I can entirely trust is being communicated all the time. Unless I'm not happy, you know, I'm on playing music I can't play or something, which I, I try to avoid both those situations in life now. So most of the time I'm playing, I'm playing in situations where I'm doing something which I want to do, you know, and I feel something about the music and I want to share that feeling with the audience and the other musicians that I'm playing with, you know. So, so you know, maybe in this this kind of priority list of if you go, okay, what's next? What's the next most important thing? We had, like, I tell you a little story. At Christmas, before Christmas, I was at a, a thing at work, and uh, there was a debate going on between a couple of uh, members of staff, and so I was pulled into this debate. And the question was, what's more important, you know, rhythm or sound? To you, you know, and so my answer to that was a bit complicated for them because like they were their mus they were musicians but they weren't drummers but they were musicians and um and so one of them was on the sound side and one was on the rhythm side and this the person that um that pulled me into the conversation <clears throat> i think they were expecting me to immediately say rhythm is the most important thing now, my immediate reaction, because of everything I'm saying to you now, and it probably doesn't surprise you, I said, well, sound's the most important thing to me, actually. And they were like, well, how can sound be the most important thing to you when you're a drummer? You know, like you weirdo. And, it, and then I was sort of thinking about it. It's like, well, it's like this thing of feel, you know. I take it so, like, it, it's like, if I don't have a sense of rhythm inherently at all, 
what the hell am I doing having anything to do with playing the drums, you know? I mean, I think that about all musical instruments, by the way. You know, I, I used to have a joke at school, you know, all these... I, used to, I was at school with a lot of classical musicians and we used to sit in these classes doing um, theory studies and, and aural studies and stuff and writing down rhythms and sight singing and all those horrific things. <clears throat> the rhythms was fine, but I, did, I hated the singing thing and all that stuff. And trying to write down chords and write melodies down. I was not very good at all that stuff when I was when I was younger. My ear just hadn't developed at all. And I was also quite afraid of the, of the singing in front of people thing. I was very, very afraid of it. I was very self-conscious. And... Um, and it's also a thing where people, you know, kids are a bit nasty as well. If you, you know, if you, if you, if you don't quite have the confidence, then you, it's so easy to have your confidence knocked, and then that becomes like a kind of neurosis thing where you, you don't ever engage in it again. And I had that with singing for a long, 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 long time and until very recently, really. And I still, I wouldn't publicly sing now, but my singing because I had some lessons last year, my singing has massively improved, and I feel much more confident about um, working in musical situations and hearing stuff and singing it and uh, my, my ears massively improved in the last five or six seven years anyway for a number of reasons um but but they used to say at school oh you will you should be able to write the rhythms out because you're a drummer and i'd be like how are you going to read any of that music that you're playing all like complicated violin parts in those symphonies or those concertos or whatever if you can't read rhythm it's like if i look at your violin score for a beethoven symphony there's far more rhythm in that than I'll ever have to play on the timps, you know. The timp part is, you know, brief and fleeting and momentary and, you know, there's a few little ding dum dun dum ding you know, whatever it is or, you know, whatever those, that's Beethoven's ninth, I think, whatever. Anyway, different timp parts in those. They're not happening, like, every bar. And you look at a violin part, or you know any any of those main kind of parts of the orchestra, these they're like playing all the time. It's like if you can't read those rhythms, you haven't got a prayer, you know. So rhythm is like I just think rhythm is inherently. If you've got anything to do with music, it's like you know what's more important: breathing or you know or um, eating food. And it's like. Right, okay, well, breathing is probably, but, you know, it's so inherent in the fact that if you don't breathe, you're dead. Um, and, of course, if you don't eat, you're dead, but you die a lot slower. You'd be dead in a few minutes if you didn't breathe, or you'd be dead in a few months if you didn't eat. And it's the same thing with music. I just think if you don't have any rhythm, then what, you, what are you doing being involved in music at all, unless you're an artist and you're doing some, whatever, no, I'm just being facetious, but, you know, it, it, uh, sound is the thing that I've really worked on, you know, and is really important to me. It's something that I've developed. And I've certainly developed my sense of rhythm, having, you know, just started this podcast with the realisation that, you know, five over four is the same as eight over four. <laughs> or four under five is the same as eight over five. Yeah, you know, which is might sound obvious to many of you, but I just never thought about it before, you know. Uh, funny, isn't it? Weird things like that. Um easier to say than to do but it's still it's an easy it makes it an easier way in doesn't it so i had this kind of thing and so they were quite surprised that i said sound and, and i was like no it's just that rhythm is it's like the bones you know it's the bones of the skeleton it's it's not the flesh on the bones it's literally the bones you know and so 
anyway, I don't know quite how I got went down that that little tangent, <clears throat> but it, just that idea of of the priority of what's important, you know. And so I think you know, I spent so much time with this thing of like over the years of making sure that I'm equipping myself in order to play the instrument in a way which means I can communicate how I feel about the music I'm playing. And and that's an emotional thing. Uh, it's a thing that moves people. It's a, it's a soulful thing, I think. But yet, in I mean, you know, anybody that knows my teaching or has talked to me about the kind of uh, the, the operation of the of the of the drum kit, which is a funny thing, isn't it? Because you kind of operate in something that's sort of you can operate the pedals on a drum kit, but the rest of it is striking, you know, and it's all over a big kind of area and lots of different surfaces or different rebounds and it's a funny funny thing you know it's never set it's never in the same place when you move it's not like a piano or a saxophone or a trumpet or something which is always the same uh, it, it might be cold in a room or something but something slightly but you know the actual op- the actual machine is there it's the machine you know and um you know what are the what other instrument can you think of that is never the same when you move it you know, it's weird, isn't it? If you think about it, well, we 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 think about it all the time. But there's probably no non-drummers listening to this, so it's a kind of moot point, really. Um, but just the idea of like the cornerstone of 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 kind of my teaching and, and the thing I talk about all the time is this thing of the navigation of the surfaces, and that's a purely technical thing, really. When it really comes down to it. You can't teach people inflection and emotion, how they feel about playing a pattern, you know, that, that, the articulation of do ga digga da da do do da that articulation, that shape of that pattern is, that's personal, you know, that's the thing that, that's the thing that, that makes, that separates us, the, the pattern, it's like the machine, um, is the same to all of us, you know, it's how you operate it. But it's the same with patterns in rhythm, you know, the patterns are the same to all of us. It's how we operate those patterns, how we um, inflect them. I've talked about this many times before, about developing your own vocabulary and things like, you know, like in the, with the paradiddle diddle, I like to accent the, the the second of the left, left, so the right, left, right, right, left, left. I like accenting that that left. And sometimes not accenting the, the right at the beginning, so you get this kind of little displaced um you're definitely getting a beginning to the shape because it's got a shape and a feel the paradiddle little well they all have these patterns haven't they and of course you know accenting that second left gives this kind of weird illusion to the fact that the paradiddle little is one sticking displaced of a six stroke roll and all those connections you know um and so that that kind of thing is like about making a pattern your own, you know, and, uh, and I've talked about that a lot. And when I'm teaching, I talk about that a lot, but there's also the way of navigation around the instrument, you know, just the nav, the navigation is a technical thing. And this is why I keep coming back to this thing about, you know, I've got this kind of sound, this sound versus how I'm holding the bloody stick in the right hand. This, um, this kind of, um, is it dichotomy? Is that the, just this slight uh, odds, you know. What I'm, what I'm trying to say is they're both emotional. This is like a bit of a nightmare, you know, because 
if I if I want the symbol sound, it's an emotional thing. I want it to sound that way. It's important to me to sound in a certain way. So in order to present my personality, so people, you know, I'm I'm who I am, and I sound like I do, and that's the thing that I am. And if you like it, great. If you don't like it, great. Who cares? You know. But the technical thing is also connected to this whole emotional thing of how one operates on the instrument and presents this this rhythm, this uh, rhythmic structure, how one is able to fluidly play rhythm. So it's funny because I kind of felt like when I was thinking about what we're talking about now and I was thinking back about this thing about what's more important to you, rhythm or sound? And I said sound immediately and I kind of thought about it for a long time, which is why I'm talking about it now. And I've also got this technical thing going on. I actually think rhythm is... <laughs> I think the answer was rhythm all along, you know, which I think is, as you were all maybe listening to this, you were probably shouting at the thing going, Dave, you moron. I think you're saying rhythm's more important, even though it's inherent and it's a given, you know. You ain't got no rhythm? It's like, forget it, you know. But that's the same with all musical instruments. And dancing and, you know, lots of things like that. Anything that's connected to this thing. So, you know. But it's been a, yeah, so it's been a funny time. It's been a funny time. And um, I'm trying to improve my confidence at the moment. So... This is just a kind of rounding up, really, of of this uh, this kind of neurosis, sharing of neurosis or whatever. Which uh, I think it's useful. It's nice to, you know, it's um, you don't want every, you don't want to be telling everybody, all, hey, everything's great, everything's brilliant. How's your life? Because mine's great. Yeah, you're feeling feeling better about yourself now. I'm telling you, everything's amazing. Because that's the social media bullshit that we're living within these days, my friends. You know. It's a nightmare. It's like if you just if you just flick yourself through social media for five minutes, you'd think everybody's having a great time, and you're like living in misery. And they're not. And luckily, most of the people I see on social media are friends or people that I do know a little bit. It's not everybody. Some people have no idea who they are because they follow me. And I follow them back out of politeness, and they don't unfollow me. So I don't unfollow them, and it's that's nice. All the people that follow me on Instagram and then unfollow me, they all get deleted. So. You know, they don't get it. It's like what's completely. Po- they think you know. I get loads of drummers that do it, by the way, which is a bit sad. But they're all trying to do shop front thing, aren't they? They're all trying to do a business thing, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to follow this drummer, and then he's going to follow me back, and then I'll delete him, and then they'll still be following me. It's like I'm not that stupid. Come on, I'm you know I've got a little bit more awareness going on than that. It's like you don't know me from anybody. You followed me. I'm going to be checking in a few days whether you're still following me because I don't know why you found me. Um, your music and the way you play the drums and everything has got is nothing like the way I play or anything. So I don't, I don't think you really. I've not posted anything recently, so I don't think you're really interested in. I think it's definitely a business thing going on here. Not always. Not being cynical, but you know, if you were to believe the amazingness of everything that's going on for everybody else, uh, then you'd be feeling like it's terrible. So that's why I think it's quite nice sometimes to talk about this stuff, um, so you can all realise that I am mental completely nowhere no that's not true I'm not mental or nowhere but I am um, searching always searching 
and it's not a it's not a settled vibe you know I haven't just found the answer and uh, here we are no 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 it's always changing you know and um, and learning as well you know better than I've ever been which is a good thing um, but never been more confused no that's not that's not entirely true but this technical thing it's um, you know it's been a, it's been a, an interesting journey but this, this kind of very this uh, sort of final um, this final kind of part of that just to kind of to round it all off it, it's about yeah the com- it's the confidence thing about about building one's confidence um because i suffer from um one of the things i do suffer from is is um so generally a lack of um confidence and that comes from probably my way i grew up and my upbringing and stuff and and yeah just kind of a different um i think this lifestyle is an alien lifestyle to the lifestyle that um i think my family and families in the past have have lived within so i think um you know the kind of uh i mean and now you know as as you as most people know i mean anybody knows me knows I mean, anyone listens to this thing i you know my parents are not alive anymore so the kind of family support thing is is now non-existent really in that respect but even in the past because what i did was kind of so out of the box of what um other people did and even in the extended family just this kind of weirdo doing music and doing a music life and all that kind of stuff and you know just um all the things that come with that and the kind of lifestyle and, and, and the kind of way of working and dealing with business and, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And so it's always been a kind of funny thing where um, I felt like all of the confidence of needing, needing to get kind of advice or whatever has always come from my, has always come from my peers. I've never really had a role model um for for this part of my life you know my parents were role, great more models I'm, I'm my brother for other things but for the music thing it's just it's always been a bit tricky my, and my role models have been more my peers you know and uh and the dynamic of that is unusual i think because you know what you what you really want i always feel is you want a figure that's like a father or a mother figure that kind of you look up to is it's kind of sort of um in life is elevated in a way where you aspire to get to that level and you don't think it's ever attainable and all that kind of stuff you know which is can be a good thing a bad thing whatever but um i i feel like in 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 myself i sort of i can find it very easy to get my confidence knocked because i don't feel like that sort of side of my personality and that side of myself is particularly strong thing but yet i deeply um believe in certain things and um certainly from a kind of perspective of 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 trial and error and being able to share experiences uh that, that i definitely feel strongly about that to external forces but just in myself it can find it very easy to get confidence knocked so you know it's one of the things he's trying to work it feels like if i could work on one thing 
Um, confidence would be really, really useful thing to work on in order to build confidence and to to make it kind of a priority, you know. Because, again, it's the thing of, like, confidence is so many different levels. You know, you can be confident as a person walking into a room. And, you know, if, if you've ever done those kind of personality... You know, I'm not talking about Scientology thing, by the way. I'm talking about the, the thing where you look at different facets of the personality, the extrovert and the introvert and all that stuff. And the thing that I realised quite, you know, quite a long time ago, and it was a really great thing, was uh, was that quite I have quite a strong introvert part to my personality, you know. And so just knowing that was really helpful because it was like, oh, yeah, that's why I shy away from doing X, Y, or Z. That's why I don't push myself into those situations. That's why I'll, you know, I'll rather do that than do that because um, I'd always said it's because I was lazy, you know. I think you you sort of maybe, com- maybe you know, make comical things about being uh, lazy. Um, somebody I was at school with who was a, was, a, was a girlfriend of mine at the time, Very she was very clever and... I used to say when I was at school, I was thick, you know. And she, one day she said, um, you're not thick, you're just not interested. And I'd never really realised that. I'd never, I'd always just thought, oh, I'm just thick, I just can't focus and I don't find anything interesting. Well, I did, actually. I found music and played the drums interesting and, and a few other subject matters as well at school. But most of it, I didn't find it interesting at the time because at that time in my life, I was, you know, sort of showing some slightly obsessive behaviours towards like sitting in a darkened room with a practice pad, you know, and listening to music with headphones on and tripping out and really doing all that stuff. And and so it's just that, you know, our kind of Western education thing, it's kind of at odds a lot of the time with with developing ourselves and our strengths at that time. And, you know, obviously you're a child or, you know, you're a teenager and there's a responsibility for your parents and the school you had to get you through that stuff. And you can't just have like a feral Lord of the Flies horror show going on where everybody's just flying about and doing their own thing because that would be a complete and disaster as well. I'm, I'm, glad for, I'm glad to have been at school and to have had that social interaction. It's probably one of the most important things ever in life. And I had I had a great time at school. I, I was at I went to two, three different schools, and all of them were really great experiences, you know. So that was all kind of good. But the confidence thing, you know, it's so easy to um, I find it quite easy to you know get my confidence knocked. So um, so that's kind of the, the the priority is is that really, and to try and work push back a bit against that. Well, not push back, no. Uh, embrace the introvert thing, but understand when. Sometimes it might not be to my benefit to default to that part of my personality, you know. And um, and then it, you know, and then the other part of this was what I mentioned at the beginning about the CBT thing with, with the sleep, and then the, the this kind of sensitivity to anxiety when I'm tired, because the other thing that you know, if you, if there's anxiety going on, it's hard to get beyond that 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 introvert that's pushing in the personality anyway, because you know. If if I'm feeling the introvert's kind of winning and then the anxiety's not helping me, you know, get my ass in gear and get out of the house for X, Y, or Z reason or or go on a holiday or, you know, all these different things that you can shy away from when you're not feeling 
great in yourself or whatever or you know blah 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 and if you're a bit of an introvert as well and you just kind of you know, shy and retiring as they say um then you know you can see how some things can compound each other so that's kind of like where my kind of my brain is and part of it feels like um i'm trying to work out whether any of these things are connected to this issue with the with the right hand because the left the right foot thing sorry i've always had this thing where i'm my i feel like i've got a long way with my right foot it's been a very positive two or three years with the right foot and years and years ago a bass player I used to know he was a very spiritual holistic guy um, a guy called sylvan richardson i was talking to him about um not not really liking my bass drum and my right foot and stuff and he was saying oh you know what's uh, is there something traumatic living in that part of your body you know and i was like something's living in my leg how can it be living in my leg you know my leg's made up of mostly bone and muscles and ligaments there's no kind of there's blood flowing through all that stuff and but there's no kind of there's no organ, is there, in the leg? Well, it's lymph glo- lymph glands. Sorry, yeah, lymph nodes, lymph glands, and but like you know, in, in your torso, you've got your heart and your stomach, and there's all these organs, and organs are a thing that are you know they're moving around, they're alive, and they they, they serve a function in a kind of way where um, where muscles different, isn't it? You know, it's a very strange conversation. But anyway, I found what he said very weird. But I think it was. I think he was more of a kind of. He was saying, you know, there's something in you know in 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 why you don't connect with your right foot or right leg, you know. And uh, don't know. But the one thing I did do, as you know from this thing a few years ago, I decided to sit at a different height, and I decided decided to really sort some shit out in my right foot which I did do, and I faced it, which I hadn't done in the past, you know, really got on with some some exercises and some hard things that I couldn't play, you know, and, um, and of course, Kel Surprise, they made a massive difference. Um, and maybe that's just the thing in my head, you know. It's actually, I've, uh, by getting over this thing of shying away from the hard work of X, Y, Z, or the, or the pain, the painfulness of the hard work, you know, and the fact that hard work... Sometimes if you don't, we don't like practicing things and doing things because they make us feel bad and they make you know, if, if we're connecting, you know, our playing maybe at times to our self-esteem, you know, which is a dangerous thing to do. Um, then you know, practicing becomes very hard, doesn't it? Because then you don't want to practice because you feel bad about yourself because things are hard when you practice, and if you can't do something, then you feel worthless, and then you feel like. You know, this is my self-esteem. It's all based on this thing. I can't do it. I'm rubbish. You know, I sound I sound rubbish. And, and I I did a, a big change in my my outlook and my mindset with practice. I had I've very much embraced the, um, the ethos that everything I practice. Well, I I practice things that I can't do. So I am a I am a beginner to everything that I practice. So therefore, I'm humble to the fact that I'm beginning again with anything that I practice. And, and um, that's been very healthy for me, very, very help, very helpful and very healthy. And uh, if you feel, I don't know if you feel a bit down about your practice or you're struggling with things and, you know, you're kind of 
I hear a lot of people contact me a lot and say, oh, I feel right. I feel like I'm at the end of a road or an end of whatever. And I've, I, I want to come to a, for a lesson or something to help me get, you know, to help me kickstart something or other. And I always think, well, actually, you've probably got tons of things that you can practice. But I think if you understand that thing, get a clear idea of what that thing is, what that thing means, then actually you just go back to the paraphernalia, the books, the things that you've got, the stuff that you know that you want to practice and you're putting off. Um, and, you know, crack on with it. Or, you know, if you want to come for a lesson or, or go to anybody for a lesson, bring that stuff to the lesson and just have a conversation about it. Start the conversation. Because I can just really help. You just go and see somebody. It's like I've been mean, counselling it really. You know, you know, he's like, I can feel there's this thing. And then if you talk about it and you, then you go, oh, problem shared, problem halved and all that, which is uh, kind of true, but you have to do something about it. Uh, it's not just resolved. Um, and again, you know, practice is practice. You can't go round it. You can't skirt round it, you know. But if you, I mean, I, I definitely think that thinking about stuff that you're practicing uh, really does help you learn things. And so I think if you have a healthier relationship with how you practice and if you have a healthier relationship with um, being clear about those things that you practice and, and you have a, a humility to them, you know, like I'm humble to this thing. It is a, it, this thing is greater than me because I can't do it. So therefore I'm going to... I'm going to master it. I'm going to learn it. I'm going to become it. It's going to become part of me. It's going to become part of what I can do. <clears throat> if you have that attitude towards it, then I think, yeah, you feel quite differently about that whole process, about that whole working kind of ethos, you know. Um, it's made a massive difference to me. It's made me feel much better about practising and all kinds of stuff, you know. So... Um, but yeah, confidence building, yeah, building more confidence again, building confidence back into things, you know, and just having a more kind of confident outlook generally. So it's been good. Uh, well, it's been challenging. It's been, it's been very challenging. Yeah. And also the sleep thing, yeah, trying to get better at sleep. That's just ongoing and tricky. And, uh, yeah, I've had a f two or three days of not sleeping very well. So I'm really tired. I just feel like there, but that's just you know state of the state of things are. So anyway, got a nice week coming up. I'm going to Scandinavia this week, which I'm very much looking forward to. I love Scandinavia. I lived in Sweden for a short time. Been there a lot. Been to Norway a lot. I'm going to Denmark, which is somewhere I've only ever been really once, really. So I'm looking forward to that. Going there on Thursday. Um. And going there for a conference, and um, that should be interesting. Should be some some nice couple of nice drummers I met last year. I think are going to be there. So yeah, that's kind of this week, and uh, and then yeah, that's going to get us halfway through February, which is, you know, I always feel sad about wishing time away, but God, you know, it's a drizzly, a drizzly old time in January, February in the UK. Let's just get it. Let's just. Let's do it with the bears and the bears and the birds and the whatever's the hibernation vibe, you know, a bit of hibernation. A couple of months sleep, wake up and it's, yeah, it's March. It's just whatever happens in March is always better in March. So, yeah, it'll be, it'll be 
closer to March, which I'm look, very much looking forward to. And then uh, I've got some nice gigs this month, which will, which will make this month fly by as well. The trio is out. If you um, if you want to come and see us, we are in Halifax on the um, on the. Oh my god, I can't remember. Let me just come on. Get your stuff together. I'm supposed to be promoting something. You don't even remember what you're doing. Don't remember what you're doing. Don't remember who you are. Who you playing with and anything really? That's not quite true. Um, so Halifax Trio JDM. We are playing um, at the, it's called Greyston Unity, I think is the place, which I've never been to, which is why I can't remember it, because I've never been there. Um, where's the message? Yes, that's right. Um, so that's on the, sorry, get me date together. So on the 22nd of February... If you're in Halifax, you can pop down to um, to Seals, playing at um, uh, trying to get the right address, name and address. Um, uh, just let me get the right thing here. This is like. Yeah, the Greyston Unity is called. It's got a new address now, though, so it's a bit of a weird one. But it's basically like a, like a venue or something. It's quite a nice place. It's next drum student of mine, a very very good drummer called Harry Stobart, nice guy, lovely drummer as well. And he's putting lots. He does lots of gigs. Harry, he's great. He was doing that even when he was at college. He's a really proactive guy. He's a very nice drummer, though. Really nice player. It's going to be mega. Just hope he keeps, you know, keeps going with the drums and doesn't just end up doing too much of the promotion and stuff. But you know, he do, he do. But he he's a very talented lad. Anyway, then Wakefield Jazz on the twenty third, which is at the sports Wakefield Sports Place, whatever it's called. It's the usual thing. It's been there forever. Then we're at the Railway, which I forgot about that on the Sunday night. That's in Stockport. And then the week after, we've got um, Scarborough Jazz on the 28th, Bob Walker's gig. The old cask up in, um, up in Scarborough, which is under threat at the moment, but hopefully it's going to survive so that they can, hopefully the community can buy it, actually. And then Jazz at the Priestley on the 1st of March, and there we go. That'll bring us to the 1st of March, which is very exciting. We haven't been there, Martin Powell. And these lovely gig, not been to their new venue. So that's on the 1st of March. And that's with the trio, uh, Trio JDM, Jamie Taylor and Martin Longhorn. The new album, Fast Corners, by Bandcamp. I'd appreciate it if you purchased that. It would be wonderful. It's a very, very good album. The drums sound mega on that album. Well, the whole music does, but really proud of that album. Owain Fleetwood Studios, WWZ down in... Pembrokeshire, mega. I've already talked about that a few episodes ago. Made that in the summer. And then, um, yeah, and then after that, Trio JDM is 23rd of March at Zeffirelli's, and then we're up uh, in Scotland on the 28th at the Jazz Bar. Which I'm really looking forward to that gig. Hopefully you can see Richard Cass up there and Dan Shearer, a guy who used to teach at Leeds. He's a great drummer, Dan. Um, 
So, yeah, a few bits and bobs. And then Seven Arts on the 3rd of March, Andy Penai with Richard Weatherall Trio with me and not sure who's on bass. Might be Ed or Pete Turner. Be one of those two guys, anyway. Mega. Um, and then um, Southport Jazz. No, playing with some harmonica player. Don't know who he is. American guy. And Stoke Jazz Syndicate, 27th of March. I'm not sure who that's with as well. Some very nice, very good Greek sax player from London. So, yeah, bits and bobs going on. Not a huge amount. Um, but I just hope I've made a decision about my right hand by then. Probably what I've done. Um, but, yeah, so, great. So that's kind of been that, really. Just to say, it would be great if you um, yeah, want to support the trio. Bandcamp, Trio JDM. The, there's two options there you can buy the di- a digital version of the album I think it's like seven quid which is bargain but if you want to buy the cd you can buy a physical copy through Bandcamp, which i will post to you personally um which is i think it's like 10 or in, i think it's 10 quid plus the postage in the uk it's like one pound 50 and international postage is about four quid or something um but yeah, I've got yeah, I've got loads of those CDs. Please uh, buy that if you haven't got a copy of it. It would be uh, marvelous, marvelous if you were to buy that. If you're going to come to one of the gigs, there'll be CDs at the gigs. So yeah, all good. Um, thanks as ever to Johnny Roadhouse um, for um, just being Johnny Roadhouse. Really, I've been there, going there a long, 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 long time, and I always buy my. My drumsticks, my Erskine, Peter Erskine originals, SPEs. I always get them from Johnny Roadhouse. If you need any of your musical needs, pop down there. Uh, they have all the instruments, of course. But it's Friday, Lee's in the, Lee's in the shop, Lee Mullen, my old busy mate. He's there on a Friday downstairs. There's lots of interesting drum characters go through there on a Friday. It's a great little vibe. Um yeah, so check them out, Oxford Road, Oxford Street, Manchester, down near the Royal Northern. And, um, yeah, I mentioned this Patreon thing of mine. It's just rubbish. I wouldn't, I just don't know anything about it, really. I mean, it's still there. I just, I don't really understand it. But you can buy, you can contribute. Um, there's like... Yeah, it's just like it's like a donation thing, really. I mean, basically, it's not free to make this podcast. It, this co- podcast costs me to host. Well, my hosting isn't free. I have to pay for it. And uh, they, I get a really good deal off them. And year on year, they've given me the same deal. But at some point, I've got this horrible feeling that deal is going to end. And all of my... It's all hosted by them. And it's all RSS'd from them. And uh, the whole thing freaks me out completely because i don't make any money out of this at all there's no advertisements at all because nobody listens to it so no one's interested in advertising on it and uh and yeah never again nobody ever gives me any contributions <laughs> it's just i mean if you go to the podomatic website and go to the drums and the shed dave walsh podcast page there is a patreon link on there and there's a there's also a a paypal link on there to donate if you want to donate to the podcast so Either of those things are an option, but of course, you know, it's here, it's free anyway, so, yeah, it's all fine. And who wants to listen to this weirdo chatting about God knows what neurosis of the drums and of life in general, really? But anyway, that's been, yeah, thanks for listening. It's um, nice to be back in the normal format, and um, I'll be back, yeah, next month, so bye for now.